Hello, and welcome to the Gamer's Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. Looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Ryan, and joining me this week is my co-host, Travis. How's it going, Travis? Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. And you're right, the the fire at the inn looks much more inviting than the flames of Avernus that I've been dealing with for the last month. So, yes, as, as I'm sure we'll get into, I, like everyone else, have been playing Baldur's Gate. And I am excited to be back and to talk to the Gamers Inn folks and, uh, and have a good time again. Oh, I thought we were going to like start an HVAC podcast and your furnace was broken or something. <laughs> no, no, I think I think we'll maybe maybe just stick with the games for tonight. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I uh, it's so funny when like an appliance breaks, I think our washer went and it was like I was like, well, we got to call someone to come in and get it fixed. And then Ashley was like, wow, that could be expensive. I'm like, yeah, but I don't know how to fix it. Something's wrong with it, so we got to get someone in. I mean, at least I can call and and get a quote, and, and we did. And it was it was not that bad, but like it's it's one of those things where it's like, man, if you need me to build a website, if you need me to recommend a video game or what console you should buy or uh, what handheld PC you should get, I'm I'm there. But like, if an appliance breaks, I don't know. I got, I got nothing. Um, I have no problem. Uh, finding a repair person to to help you out on that front. But uh, yes, this is not a furnace podcast. This is not a, a um, who do you call when your dishwasher makes a funny sound podcast either. This is, We're going to talk about video games. And yes, we're going to talk about Baldur's Gate 3 again, because Travis, you have been playing this on you, as I'm being accusatory here, you've been playing this on console. <laughs> How dare you play this PC game on a console? What are you doing? Um, but you got the platinum, right? I did. I finished it, um, just today actually. Um, and I've, I've been at it pretty much since the release of the console version. Um, and I wasn't sure if I was going to finish it off before the show, but yeah, I, I finished my tactician run last night and I saved, um, I made one save that I left separately, um, to finish off uh, a hidden boss and then just went back and finished that this morning. So yeah, it it was a great, great experience, great journey. Um, amazing game. And uh, hopefully I can talk about a few different angles that people haven't already discussed on the show. I know we've talked about it a few times and I don't want to continue to belabor the same points, but, um, yeah, we can talk a bit about the, the console, uh, console version and maybe how my experiences might've differed differed from uh some of the other guests but you're you're absolutely right with your your how dare you play this on console um <laughs> i'm joking by the way i'm kidding me oh, of, of all course, people of i i i much prefer console experiences but i just had to get that dig in there because i know uh it i mean it is very much a, a pc centric uh game and and honestly before the last three or four years like you wouldn't you wouldn't typically see a game like this come to consoles, but there's been a lot of work done to uh, sort of make that jump happen. And I know other Larian experiences have arrived on consoles previous to this, so it's not exclusive to Baldur's Gate, but the controller support, um, like, it works quite well, right? I mean, it takes a lot and has to condense it into, like, a lot of, like, radial menus and stuff. It's by no means is it, like... It's overwhelming because I, I, I plugged a controller in on the PC for a bit and I thought like, yeah, this is probably easier with, you know, PC and mouse. But like the, the prospect of having this game on a big screen and, and just like 
playing with a controller sounds pretty good, you know? Yeah. And I guess the first thing, what I was, where I was starting to go with it is you are absolutely right in that it is 100% a PC game. Um, and even playing the console port of that, that's very apparent. Um, that's not to say it doesn't play well on console, but like you said, there are a lot of radials. Um, there are a lot of things with the controller that you just kind of go like, mm, this would be a lot easier if I could just click on it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and Jocelyn pointed out, oh, geez, it must have been a month ago now when she talked about it, but saying like, this is one of those games where you can pick up anything in the room. Um, and there's just, you know, there's candles and coins and chalk and potions just laying around. And it's really difficult to like, go like, no, not that one. I want this one just like an inch to the left of it. Um, it can be really difficult with a controller sometimes to, to do that. Um, however, one thing I will add with that for the longest time, probably most of my first playthrough, I was trying to like, orient my character to look at the thing that I was trying to pick up, which was super difficult. And then eventually I realized that you can just hit left and right on the D pad to sort of cycle through anything that's just generally in front of you. Um, and that does make it a lot easier. And nonetheless, clicking on it would have been the simplest method. Um, so all of that is to say, if you are a platform agnostic person and you have the option to play on console or PC, you don't care have a preference one for the other, you should absolutely play it on PC. Um, I have not played it on PC, but just it's one of those games that as you're playing it on a console, you can see this was designed for with PC in mind and would be a smoother experience with, with that. Uh, at the same time, I prefer sitting on the couch. I prefer controller in general and just having that couch console experience. So I 100% do not regret having played it on console. Um, it was a great experience for me. They did a, they did a great job with it and anything that's a little, um, I don't want to make it sound negative, but anything that's like suboptimal or at least could be simpler on PC, you feel it for a little bit initially, but you get used to it pretty quickly. Um, and then it sort of becomes second nature. Um, but as you pointed out, you, you had mentioned the radials. Um, that's one of the big things that I feel the game would play much faster on PC just having, cause you have like a toolbar right at the bottom where you just sort of click what ability you want to use or, or whatever. That's kind of how it's set up. Yeah. It's, it's similar to that. Like you, I, I, I think I, like I said, I didn't play a lot with the controller. I just kind of like activated to see what it'd be like. And um, yeah, it's just a bunch of radial menus. And when you're, when you're interacting with things, you're using your spells and such. And I mean, honestly, like how else do you replace you know, your spell bar. Right. There's really not a lot of options, right? Yeah. And the one, one thing that they did that I thought was a great move was to allow you to customize the radials, um, which can be kind of a pain at first and a little overwhelming initially when you're just like, I, I, I've never played this before. I don't know where I want this button. Um, but it's, it's definitely worth it to do it once you find the things that you're going to use frequently. Um, put them somewhere in, in a certain radial that you know where it's going to be so you can navigate there more quickly. Um, I would definitely recommend that. And unfortunately, they do get a little awkward in that you level up and sometimes you know, when you get new abilities, sometimes they will bump things that you've put somewhere else. Um, so you'll periodically have to sort of reset your radials a little bit. But again, it's it's a minor minor inconvenience for what is otherwise uh, a pretty great experience. And I would not let 
if your only option is to play it on console, do not let the fact that you don't have a PC to play it on deter you from playing the game. It's still, it plays great. It looks great on a big screen. Um, all of the, the artwork is amazing. The voice acting is amazing. So all, all of that polish, um, everything that we want for out of it, um, that's just what you're going to get on the console version. So I would, I would hundred percent recommend it if you're interested. Yeah. That, I mean, that's been my big thing is like, so when we did, and we'll talk about it a bit later in the show when we did, um, our Avendad stream, I had moved my, my good PC into the living room. So I had my older PC in the living room for like more indie titles, less, less intensive games. Uh, and then I got the steam deck and I basically didn't turn that PC on very often, but uh, all that aside, like I have the good PC in the living room now. And I thought, Oh, it'd be great to kind of try Baldur's gate on the big screen. Cause my favorite part about Baldur's gate three are the conversation bits, the character interactions, the, the dialogue choices, the stuff that would be really cool to see on a big screen. Um, so I have thought about about doing that, but honestly, like like you said, like having the option between playing with mouse and keyboard and playing with controller, it's a bit daunting to go to those radial menus. However, I know that when I actually dive in, and if I get those radial menus in the right spot, I'll, I'll just probably stick with it. I'll be fine. Like I'm not opposed to playing um, a game with controller support you know, even if it's much easier to play with mouse and keyboard, like I'd almost rather have the controller option, like just to, just to be laid back and and relaxed. But, uh, I did get pretty far at Baldur's Gate 3. We were talking pre-show about where I'm at. So for folks at home, I'm, I'm, I, I mean, my brain wants to say about halfway through act two, I did describe where I was to you, Travis, but does that sound about right? About halfway through? Yeah, so I mean, it's hard to gauge in a game like Baldur's Gate 3 because there's so much optional content and side content, and mm-hmm. you've done a majority of that in Act 2. So all, just about everything you have left is mainline story things. So there's only kind of a few beats left for you, or a few missions, however you want to look at it, in the second act, but they're very meaty. Um, there's a lot there to dig into, and it... Uh, Act two does not end when you think it will. Uh, I'll, I'll say that much. <laughs> okay, interesting. Yeah i I feel like I'm I feel like I'm getting there uh, for act two, but I again, it's been a while. Uh, I mean, I dropped it around the start of September, so we're almost it, we're heading towards two months. And honestly, Spider Man and Mario Wonder aren't going to do Baldur's Gate any favors. But this is the point of the show where I reminded you not to let me off the hook, and I'll put it I'll put it here. I almost said in writing, but I'll put it here in in audio format. This is the Xenoblade Chronicles uh, three <laughs> of twenty twenty two, where I I need to finish Baldur's Gate three. I feel like personally, my personal thoughts is that I I need to finish Baldur's Gate three before we have our game of the year conversation. Um, I know we don't do like a what's the game of the year. We do usually like a like a five picks. you know some would say we we take the easy way out but honestly like i think it's just a more fun conversation when you're not trying to rank you know uh what what was your favorite i mean obviously some years it's a little easier to point to our favorite but we like to just kind of like hey let's talk about our five favorite games you know uh sure yeah and this this has been a crazy year for that too and without um without diving too deep into any kind of review 
uh, I, it's so far Baldur's Gate is, is my game of the year. Um, and I'm somebody that jumped on, uh, Final Fantasy 16 immediately and, and quite enjoyed it, but I, I still give the net, the edge to Baldur's Gate. And, uh, I, I think for me, really the only thing that might knock it down would be Spider-Man. Um, but even that I think is pretty doubtful at this point. So despite yeah. anything that may have sounded negative or suboptimal about, uh, controller support or anything like that. I mean, it's it's still my game of the year, so please don't let any... <laughs> I'm just trying to describe it. I, I don't want to yeah. turn anyone against it or anything like that. So it's a great experience. Well, no game is perfect. I, I think it's fine to love a game. And there's a lot of, you know, discussion out there about like, you know, when critics give a game like a high score, but still know things that are wrong or broken or what have you, whatever word you want to use. But at the end of the day, I, I really think like, it can be it can be fine to love a game and still have parts of it that you know aren't like aren't the best part you know like i think controller support is it's literally what it is it's like it's it's the support to play the game on on that platform which is primarily played with a controller and i think it's like it's important to note like yeah it's not as good as pc and mouse but it doesn't change the fact that everything else in that game is just so superb um and the controller sport works, you know, it works quite well for what it is. It does. And that that's a great point in that just that it it isn't as smooth as you would probably have with a keyboard and mouse as far as like picking abilities and how you want to interact with things. But it does work very, very well. And I don't have a better suggestion for how to do it on a controller. I think they've adapted it very well. Mm -hmm. uh, but just with the sheer amount of ways that you can approach things, um, a controller just inherently doesn't have that have easy access to give you all of those options in a simple way. So I think it's still a great experience. I just think you could maybe select what you're trying to do more quickly with the keyboard and mouse. Um, but it still works just as well with the controller. It just might take you, you know, a second longer to, to find it in the radial or, or what have you. Yeah. And it's a turn-based game, so it's not like it's not like you're on any time crunch, right? True. You know, <laughs> absolutely. So, um, well, I mean, we do. I do have a couple other questions about Baldur's Gate Three. I know, I know, we've talked a lot about it on the show, as as you said, and I I think we talked about it uh, quite a bit when it came out, and and um, and even last week when Monica was on. But so, this is something I don't know a lot about. But there's this dark urge playthrough. Can you explain like the, the general idea for that? And I know like I know it's come up in Discord a lot and I know Elsie's uh probably got all the information in our Baldur's Gate uh thread, which or not thread, but uh, our game discussion uh post in the game discussion uh forum. Um but like did you have to play through the entirety of the game with this dark urge playthrough and like how do you how do you like opt into that? Like how does it work? Yeah, yeah. So the I guess the first, the first thing is, as Ryan mentioned, I was trying to get the platinum for this. Um, and it's one that I'm very proud to have gotten through and just being able to experience so much of the game. And part of that um, is playing at least once as the Dark Urge. Um, there's a trophy for getting a particular ending, and that's only available. It's not an option to get that ending unless you're playing as a Dark Urge character. So... Um, to explain what the Dark Urge is, at the beginning of Baldur's Gate 3, like many RPGs, you start by creating a character. 
And you have the option to go with just the sort of generic, you can choose any of the existing characters like Shadowheart or Asterion or Karlak and play through the entire game with that character as your main character. So that's one option. This sort of default standard option that I think most people go with um, is to sort of roll a character like you would in D&D where you select your your race, you select your class, a little bit about your backstory to tell you who you are, but it's nothing s- solid. It's just like you're a noble or you were a street urchin, urchin or something like that. Um, and you don't really have a strong backstory the same way that the other origin characters do. Like they, when you speak to them, when you meet them, they have their own goals and motivations. And your character is just kind of the cipher for you, for your personality or whatever personality you want to put on this character. Um, so that's kind of the default way to play the game. One of the other options um, that people talk about a little bit, and some folks seem to have the wrong idea about it, and I know I did when I first heard it, is you select the Dark Urge. And what that is, you still create your character the same way that you would the default custom character way, except when you select the Dark Urge, it imposes a backstory upon you. Mm. Um, And I can't, for spoiler purposes, I can't get into what that is exactly. I will say with a name like the dark urge, it kind of gives the impression that you have to be evil. If you select this or a lot of people think, Oh, I don't want to play that because it's, it's evil. And that's not the case. Um, what it does is it, it, it gives you a backstory and you learn more and more about your character and that backstory as you go through the story. Um, some of it is a little bit out of control or out of your control, I should say. Some of it will require some dice rolls or specific checks to make outcomes happen the way either to happen certain ways that may or may not conflict with what your backstory is. Um, but what it does is it ties your player, your player character, character, excuse me, to the world in a way that creating a custom character does not. Um, so to that end, I won't say it's the way to play the game or, but it kind of feels like it's the canon story that, that, that Larian is trying to tell. And I think a lot of folks are sort of put off by it because of that title, the dark urge, they assume, Oh, this is my Sith Lord playthrough. And it doesn't, that's not necessarily the case. Um, you can still choose to be, a good or evil character or impose whatever kind of morality on the character that you want um, and try to play it that way. But this just gives you a little bit more story and a little bit more ties to the universe and, and the story of what's going on as opposed to the blank slate character that you can, that a, a lot of, um, a lot of mainstream media seems to be promoting as the, the main way to play the game. Um, so if you're curious about it, uh, don't let it, don't let anything put you off. Um, if you want to do it for your play, your first playthrough, um, I having just finished it, I don't see any problem with that. Uh, a lot of people recommend it, just do it on the second run or something like that. But if you think you're only going to do one and you want to see what it is, um, I would say just dive right in because it's, it's not prohibit prohibitive in any way. It just gives you a little bit extra in my opinion. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, no. So I remember like closer to launch, they were unveiling, unveiling, they were revealing um, another origin character and it was like sort of a dragonborn 
character. Is that the dark urge? That's the character or cause you said you create your own character. Yeah. So all it does, the only difference in character creation is, you know, like you picked your human bard, I think, or something yeah. like that. So you chose that. And then there's an option that you can pick to be, you know, like a, a noble or an artisan or a criminal or like your, you know, your background. And it gives you two different like skill proficiencies, depending on which one you pick. So what it is, is the dark urge takes the place of that. So you still choose your race, your gender, and whatever class. Like you don't have to do anything with dark urge. It just replaces your um, that origin backstory portion. I think the default that um, Larian was going for just as like this is our, you know, like this is our Commander Shepard <laughs> type situation. Um, I think that was uh, a Dragonborn character, so I think that's why you, you saw a lot of the the Dragonborn in the. Um, you know, in the promo footage. Um, mm-hmm. So you can play one as Dark Urge, but again, you're not required to. If you want to be a drow, if you want to be a gnome Dark Urge, you can do whatever you want. Okay, interesting. Um, well, that gives me a bit more information. I feel like that might be that might be an interesting, like, second playthrough, or, or even just, like, do you feel like you get a taste of um, that type of playthrough, even if you were to, like, on your, after you finish the game, if you were to, like, maybe do, like, sections of act one would you get like the you wouldn't get obviously the complete experience but you get a sense of that type of playthrough does that sound right not yes and no um so you you can see you can get a taste as far as like if you've played it once before and then you play as dark urge the second time you'll run into a lot of situations particularly like like right when you land um, after you get off the ship where you're like, oh, this wasn't an option before. Oh, I can do this thing now. And it ties into the back dark urge backstory. So I didn't have that option the first time. But as far as, so you'll see a lot of that almost immediately. What you won't get until you get a little deeper into the story is what the dark urge actually is, what you're dealing with, how it ties you to the rest of the story. Um, those things tend to come more in act two and early in act three. Um, but you, you will see differences immediately. Um, it's just not quite as deep, like I said. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, that makes sense. I mean, I, I, I guess like, yeah, you, it wouldn't make sense to, um, it wouldn't make sense to think that you would see like a bunch of changes right away because you're right. Like from a story perspective, like it really doesn't get going until like act later on in act one slash two in terms of character stories. Yeah. So when you when you land as the default character as as Tav, I think is I know that's the default name, but I guess that's how you refer to that character. Um you're sort of like I just woke up. I don't know who I am. I'm a 1990s Square Enix RPG protagonist and here I am. And um you don't you know, you don't know who you are or anything like that. When you're playing as the Dark Urge, you have a similar situation in that like you don't know why you're there but you it's it's more like you're you have like an earworm or something that like your memory is trying to tell you something um so you're you're like straight from the beginning you're you're getting more of a backstory as like you can tell that they're trying to tell a story about your character and not just the story of Baldur's gate 3 um so you get that angle that you don't get playing tav 
but you don't know just like everybody else, like all the other characters, as you get to know them and you, you progress their personal arcs, you kind of have your own arc that you don't have if you're not playing Dark Urge. I get that's probably the most um, succinct way to, to say it is that playing Dark Urge gives your character an arc that you would not have otherwise. Oh, okay. Okay. That makes sense. That sounds really interesting. So I wish I had said that 10 minutes ago. I no, no, no. And I think it, you did get, <laughs> you did get close. <laughs> you did get close to it. I think you might've even said that I'm just reacting like, like you hadn't said it before. I think you did. Um, no, that sounds really interesting. And I mean, by that logic, like, I think you're right. It makes, so like, this was probably another Ryan, uh, not really paying much attention to, to the discussion, not on this show, but the overall online discussion, as you mentioned, like there's some misconceptions about what, like this specific type of playthrough will be in assuming it is the, it is the evil playthrough, but like going through with the dark urge playthrough, like, does it like, does it lock you out of like certain romances or certain, you know, character interactions? Like, it sounds like you can still do all of that. It's all still possible, right? You can do pretty much everything because you still okay. have that agency over the character. Um, trying to do certain things may be more difficult or you might have to take a different avenue to get to the same result because because you might have a backstory that's conflicting with what you're trying to do. Okay. So if that's the case for what you're trying to accomplish, it's not impossible. You might just have to go about it in a different way to get there. Yeah. Um, that that said, and I talked to LC about this a little bit this morning. Um, again, if you're a trophy hunter, um, you kind of want to plan out what you're doing with Dark Urge versus with a Tav playthrough. Because while I don't think anything is technically 100% impossible either way, um, I know there is at least one trophy that is very, very difficult to get if you're playing Dark Urge. Almost to the point of, like, I'm not sure if the fact, like, I'm not sure if what you have to do to get it would consist of being a glitch or not. Like, it's that mm -hmm. level of you have to really work around <laughs> to do it. Um, but as far as main story beats and anything like that, um, that does not lock you out of anything. There, worst case scenario, there will be a dice roll. That okay. will determine something for you. Um, gen bad. Generally speaking, you can make a choice, but if nothing else, they will lock you into a choice and you have to, if you don't like it, you have to make a dice roll to overcome it one way or the other. Um, that's like worst case scenario. <laughs> okay. Interesting. But like the way you described it, and I, and again, I think you even used this comparison, so I want to reiterate it, but it sounds like the dark urge selection at the character screen basically is applying like a story, like a, like an Alarian story to your specific character. Cause when you're playing the tab playthrough, it really comes down to like your choices and you're creating sort of the story as you're, you're, you're filling in your parts of the story as you go. There isn't like an overarching story going on for your, your custom player, but like the dark urge kind of gives you that, um, that story for your character, like your other characters would have, would have like, does it like, does it offer, um, you know, how Carlac and all the other characters have like specific quests related to their character progression. Are there like quests related to the dark urge playthrough that are, that are unique to that playthrough? Or is it just these dice rolls and 
battles inside your head? The the main story will change mm. if you're the Dark Urge. So you you have your own arc. You do not have personal quests, but the main the the main story quests are slightly different. Um, okay. NPCs, NPCs react to you in different ways. Certain ones will will know what the Dark Urge is already. So things that happen to you in the main story will just have extra flavor and more more backstory rather than giving you a separate mission that you have to do for yourself. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. I mean, I, uh, I'm glad, I'm glad we talked about it. Cause honestly, I, my understanding of it was, uh, well, frankly incorrect. So I'm, I'm glad that you, uh, <laughs> you're on the show to, well, to explain it. Yeah. That, and that was why I wanted to bring it up because it just sounds evil. Now I, I did. Yes. <laughs> and I did make one mistake. I was <laughs> hopeful and, and maybe a little bit overly optimistic. So you can also name your character and the default name uh, for the Dark Urge character is the Dark Urge. And I, I sort of thought that they put that in there that way, thinking like, this is like their cipher or whatever, and characters will, like if you leave it the Dark Urge, people will fill in whatever quote-unquote Dark Urge dialogue they have written, as opposed to, like, I, what I did not expect was whenever a shopkeeper comes up to me and they're like, oh, hi, I'm... I don't know, Elfin Moonbow. Nice to meet you. And your response is, hi, I'm the Dark Urge. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, it just sounds like, like well, okay. Perhaps, so, it, so yes, definitely change your name. Do not play through the entire game with your name literally being the Dark Urge, because unless you want some, some kind of humorous character introductions, because you will literally go around telling people, I'm the Dark Urge. You know, like, I don't have a name. I'm just the Dark Urge. Uh, so, yeah, that was... Yeah, I, I just, you know, I also, I guess I tried to role play it a little bit too. Whenever I had options to introduce myself, I just wouldn't like, I would just say a different line of dialogue rather than tell somebody like, my name is the dark urge. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that makes sense. Um, well, before we uh, move on to another game, I, I do have one last question for Boulder Skate 3. Not let, like this is going to be the last time we talk about the game for the year, but uh, you did finish it. This is a game of many, many choices, and I we are keeping this spoiler free. But like, you did finish it. Like, is the ending? Well, what are your spoiler free th- thoughts on the ending? And I know that's a loaded question. You can literally just say like, "I thought it was okay," or "I thought it was good." Like, I I don't know how much detail you can go into without spoiling it. But I'm curious. Like, you have this game that is being celebrated for its you know, thousands of choices, little choices that you make throughout the course of the game. Like, do you find it wraps up the big story beats in a, in a very, uh, satisfying way, I guess. Yeah. So I can give you a little bit more than it was okay. Uh, So I'll try and do better than that. Um, so, you know, you've heard things, I, I don't remember what the numbers were exactly, but you've seen the articles. It's like Baldur's Gate three has 17,000 different endings or whatever. And, and, and like, that's just not the case. <laughs> um, things like that, what they're talking about is like whether some random character will be there at the end or not, because did you do their quest? It's not a different ending. It's just whether someone happens to be in the background of a scene or um, y- you sort of go through a phase where you're recruiting allies and there are there might be 17,000 different combinations of which allies are available depending on 
you know, like you got this one, but not this one and not that one, like that might all round out there. There is a finite way, a number of ways that you can approach, approach the end. Um, and it's, it's a satisfying ending, but in my opinion, it's not really, in my opinion, act three is probably the weakest of the three. Uh, and I, maybe that's a hot take, maybe not. Um, and that's not to say it's not good, but acts one and two, everything ties together in such an impressive way. And it's just not quite like that in act three. Um, I've heard some speculation that might be because, you know, act act one was in early access for three years. So they had more time to develop and take feedback on it. And obviously act three is not something you're going to put in, in early access to let people see the end of the game. Um, so it's not to say the writing suffers. It's just the way that everything is interwoven so well in acts two and three. It's, it's just not quite like that in act three and the endings are sort of similar. And I, I don't want to, or I should say the endings are affected similarly. Um, there are a, a small number of endings that have a few choices in them that will impact how the ending works out, but they all kind of, you know, it, it all sort of shoehorns you into this, the same one of three or four different broad strokes endings. So in that sense, it's kind of like it. I hate to make this comparison because people were really upset about it, but it's somewhat <laughs> similar to mass effect three in that instance in that, but it, you do have more choice than mass effect three. You have more impact than you did in mass effect three. So I, I, again, I'm not trying to be literal, belittle it, but you know, Mass Effect Three. You're at the end, and you get one of three, one of three endings. Um, this yeah. is sort of similar, where depending on how you approach the choices you make leading up to that final section, will direct you down one of a number of paths, and the ending will will vary based on that. Right. Um, so there are four buttons instead of three. Is what you're saying? Yeah. 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 Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think. Um, for a game that offers so much choice, um, I, I really think, or at least it's known as offering a ton of choice, what it does better than most, if not all other games, is in that illusion of choice area. Because there are a lot of places where it's not real choice, it's the illusion of choice. And it definitely gives you many more options to approach many, most encounters in most situations. Act three is a step back from the other two in that department and the endings that applies to the endings as well. So you can definitely approach it how you want, but there were times in particular with the ending where I had a thing in mind that I was trying to do and I, there, there was not a path that reflected what I wanted to do. Um, and that was really like the only time in the game that I felt that. And that's not a criticism or at least not a strong criticism because I, I realized they can't write a hundred thousand endings and account for everything that anyone would want to think. Um, so they have to sort of end you somewhere uh, and yeah. get you there. But I, like I said, leading up to the final choices, there was a moment where I was like, this character is reacting in a way that like, I have a very specific response and it seems logical to me that like I should be able to respond this way. And it's just not there. Like I have to sort of accept or not accept what this character wants to do. 
and they're having a very strong reaction. It's like, I want to side with you, but you're being kind of a jerk. And your response to me saying like, I agree with you, but not what you want to do is to be like, well, I'm just going to go off and do something crazy. And it's just like that, that was a stark difference um, to how other things were approached in the game to me, in my opinion. Um, so I would say, and Ryan, you'll at least have this to look forward to. I think the end of act two and the way that act two comes together is the best writing in the game. Um, I, I think you have really strong character moments. You have really strong ties to the story itself uh, and great writing. And while act three is still very solid, it's still very good. And the ending is satisfying. It doesn't, to me, it did not have that like, wow, that was a great moment. Like it didn't have that the same way that act two does. Okay. Interesting. Well, yeah, I'm, uh, and this is the thing I, I kind of assumed, look, like all narrative experiences that involve a lot of choice, it is, it's a diamond, right? Like it starts at a, at a, at a point, it works right. its way out. And then it has to come back to some version of that other end of the diamond, that point. So you're never going to have a game that's so open-ended. Well, I shouldn't say never. There there have been examples of games that that aren't diamonds. They're they're like more triangles. It just kind of like keeps going away from that initial point. But have you been starfield again no i'm sorry no (laughs) (laughs) well it's i yeah it's um i never got far enough in starfield to figure out like where the story went or where it was going uh i still haven't been spoiled on like what happens in new game plus that supposedly makes everything click um starfield is a game i will likely uh return to for game of the year you know discussions but probably not for long um (laughs) That 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 all being said, like I I think that I I never really give a game trouble for like having that diamond approach to a narrative experience because I understand like that's the best way to present a solid and fun and cohesive narrative experience. I think if you go the triangle route, uh, you are locking your players out of content, and you're having to design more more content. Therefore you struggle to like present a a game that feels complete, you know, like you're, if you have a playthrough that like says like, okay, like every playthrough is different and the choices matter. So therefore like you only see 10% of the game every time you play through it, that is, that is not as compelling to me as like, here's a game that offers a bunch of choices. Uh, and, but you really, you can play through it a bunch of times and have, have a different like sort of flavor on each playthrough. But like, it's, it is primarily the same story. Like you're playing the same story. The story right. doesn't change. You are still on a specific path, you know? Um, so anyways, it, that, that sounds fine to me. Yeah, right. And that's exactly what's happening here is that they, they have to end it somewhere and it they have to. So you're you're more directed at the end, I guess. You still have choices, yeah. but you're sort of you might not there might not be a choice that fits as well as you want it to. Or, you, you know, that's like that kind of thing where it's like, you know, I wish I'll take this route because it's the closest thing to what I want. But I wish I could do this instead. You may or may not have that feeling depending on what exactly you want from the ending. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do, it is satisfying. And in act three, 
we talked a little bit about this in pre-show. Act three does have conclusions for most, if not all of the your party members as well. So there's there's tons of good writing. You do see a lot of good conclusions. And the sad the the ending to the story is satisfying in itself. Um, but if you've heard people bill it as like, it's this great accomplishment of choice and you can end it however you want. Like it, it's not that it's still a narrative game that has specific endings to the story that they want to tell. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that makes sense. And honestly is, is not surprising, but I'm glad we were able to, uh, to chat about it. Well, um, our next game we're going to chat about is one I've been playing. And, uh, this is a game I got a, a code for from the developer and it's called, uh, beneath or Essa. It is a so it is very interesting in the sense that like it is a roguelike and I know like everyone loves roguelikes like what's that to love? <laughs> sure they do. <laughs> sure they do. Everyone does. That's not a blanket statement that won't get uh, regards in, in the discord. But I think that for me, I really like roguelikes and I like card battlers uh, if if I don't have to min max my decks, you know, if I don't have to build the deck uh manually like if there is some deck building mechanics to this but it's all kind of automated in a way like you're presented with options but really you don't have to like it's not like hearthstone where you're building a deck but um the unique thing here is that i find most card battlers roguelikes uh aren't presented in this way this is a fully 3d rendered uh card battler roguelike so it's got like um if you look at the art style it kind of feels like a comic book style borderlands cell shaded type uh type feel so i really dig the art um the art direction for this one i i immediately latched onto that but i love the idea of like a a really good roguelike with with card battling mechanics so but the way this game works is like you have um uh you have a bunch of heroes you don't get to choose from all of them you start with one at the beginning and that's sort of how the progression works as you level up you're unlocking more heroes. But the cool thing here is that you also have a companion and those companions aren't um, necessarily unique characters. They are heroes that you'll unlock as well. So you have, you have these selection of heroes and some of those heroes are also companions and choosing your character, your hero, your main hero kind of gives you like the cards you're going to have access to and the type of mechanics that that character is going to have access to. And then the companion gives you access to some additional skills that you can employ uh, throughout your sort of uh, delve uh, underneath, uh, well, underneath, beneath, or as I should say. Um, And that's kind of how you like sort of build out the type of deck you're going to be playing with but all these heroes have somewhat of a unique approach to combat so the first character you unlock is sort of a melee brawler but then eventually you'll unlock a character that is um more range based but has like a like a sword as well to do some some close mechanics and a lot of the mechanics revolve around you having to use these unique abilities to kind of like stay alive and, and uh, protect yourself against enemies and and try to do as much damage as possible. Um, And they all feel very uh, unique. So as I was playing through it, I kind of felt like when I got tired of a character or I I felt like I I had um, gotten used to that character, I would constantly be unlocking, you know, new characters, new companions to try out. Um, 
I'll say this though. I have yet to finish a mission. This game is being sort of, uh, <laughs> roguelike. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, the game is getting a bit of a, a bad rap for like being too difficult. And I will agree. It's very difficult. Um, each mission you take on. So like when you, when you boot up the game, there's like this like mission selection screen and it's, um, there's like four missions up and each mission has like a specific, uh, buff or debuff depending on what, when you choose. So, so for example, one of them's like, Hey, do this mission and you get, uh, you, re- you restore five health every battle or you, you get new armor or, um, some of them have negative effects. Like you lose, you start with two, um, two less base cards, you know, so you don't have like standard attacks and, and defense. So, I always choose the missions that are like, well, that are giving me a buff because I'm already losing. I'm already not winning. Um, <laughs> any help, any help I can get, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Any help you can get. And if you're like looking at like the trailers, you're kind of seeing you, you have three floors to go through to complete the mission. Each floor ends with a boss, which is like a unique boss encounter. Uh, and, and they kind of rotate. It's all randomly generated as well. And as you're working through uh, the tunnels um, to to delve underneath uh, uh, Oressa, you are um, you are having different encounters. Sometimes it's a fight, and each encounter, a fight, you can kind of choose. Like, there's options there to choose. Like, maybe it'll say, like, okay, this fight you can either start with an additional card, or you can start with uh, with um, fifteen armor or something. Like little little things like that. Sometimes they're negative effects, sometimes they're positive effects. And it kind of, like there's all this choice going on as you're battling uh, through these different missions. And uh, there'll be like, you know, sections where it's like, you know, you can pick boosts, you can pick uh, new cards, you can, and you're kind of like building your character as you go. And how you build your character is basically, you know, either increasing your companionship, which gives you more abilities from your companion, or you can add new cards or upgrade cards and so on and so on. And I I have I have been able to get to the third you know floor, I guess, of the tunnels. I have not been able to like actually finish it. It actually feels like the game gets progressively harder as you go, which makes sense, but the curve is like impossible. <laughs> um <laughs> Maybe it just maybe needs some tuning. <laughs> uh like and but but this is the thing. I'm having fun. Uh I'm not like winning, but the way it works is like when you lose, you get a bunch of XP that unlocks new characters and new cards. So you're constantly like progressing. Like you're you're seeing I think that's where the design of this game is interesting. Like even though I'm quote unquote losing I am gaining XP. I am unlocking new features. And I feel as though, like, I think I'm like level 20 something now. I've unlocked uh, a majority of the the heroes and the companions. I think I got two or three left. So even though I haven't finished the thing, like a mission, uh, it looks <laughs> like there's a progress bar. You finish, um, you have to fill it. Uh, and it, I don't know because I haven't finished. <laughs> I haven't finished a mission. So I'm assuming what happens is when you finish a mission, it, it like kind of slots in your progress overall. I know that when I finish a mission, I will not finish the game. 
there's like like so it kind of feels like finishing it doesn't like it isn't isn't the end i don't know like i'm trying to think of like i'm having fun playing it i'm having fun playing through and i guess technically losing because the mechanics of the the card play and the strategy there is really interesting so when you're in combat not only does each character have like a different style of combat you're having to balance like so when you're in combat like you you don't have uh you don't necessarily have like defense you have like a health meter there isn't a lot of healing you know so you have to kind of protect your health pool as best as possible but there are like ways to add armor to your character that armor only lasts one round so when the enemies attack you even if you built up like 50 armor and they attacked you for 15 the armor resets every round but you can see what each character is going to do on their turn. You can tell exactly how much damage they're going to do. You can tell if they're going to do a buff to characters or a debuff to you. And you kind of use that to strategize and how best to survive that round or do a bunch of damage and take characters out. But like that strategy and the gameplay combined with like the look and feel of this game, I'm just having a blast doing that. Even if I, again, even though I am losing... I'm I have yet to finish a mission. It's kind of it's kind of crazy. <laughs> you're just you're just getting your butt kicked in a really gratifying way, that's all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean that's so funny because like I honestly if uh I've never had a game where I have lost this much that I've still enjoyed a lot and um it's uh I love the again like I love the art style, I love the characters. It's uh the fact that it doesn't like there is strategy involved. It's the right amount of the ask is the right amount of strategy of like, I'm not making Ryan build a deck. I'm providing him with all the options and he just has to read the tool tips and determine like, what would I rather have in, in my possession for, for these battles? Maybe that's why I'm losing. Cause I'm not like putting <laughs> my brain. Maybe I'm not committing like a hundred percent of my brain to, to the strategy, but I've just, anytime I kind of get sick of a character, I'm like, well, I have so many other options here. I think there's like eight, nine different heroes you can choose from. Oh, wow. Um, and they have, uh, they each have like a specific grouping. So they, if they come from a, the same group, they have like a similar style of play. And they, I think they even share some cards as well. So they just have like a different, some tweaks on their style. Um, but, uh, I've been playing it primarily on the Steam Deck. It is Steam Deck verified. However, I'll mention that it does not have proper controller support. The controller support is mapped. Um, essentially, it's all cursor based and the uh, cursor is tied to the right stick. Uh, if you're playing with a traditional controller, if you're playing with the Steam Deck and using the trackpad, that works really well. No problems there. But when I did it in docked mode, and play with an Xbox controller, it uh, it didn't feel great. Um, I know the developers are working on full controller support, so that likely be added. Um, I, I honestly don't know when, but it's, it's on their roadmap. It's something they're working towards. Uh, the game just launched out of early access, so it's been in early access for, for quite a bit. Um, but it's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And again, like if you're looking for a roguelike uh, card battler, with a unique um, art style. And like the 3D approach is really cool. Like again, like most of these roguelikes, you think Slay the Spire, um, 
even even Hades. Like, no, there's nothing wrong with those art styles, but like, this is like a fully 3D world. Uh, you're not moving your characters in 3D, but it is all presented in in 3D, and they really take that art style and run with it. Uh, but it's available. Um, it's available on Steam. Like I said, just launched out of early access. It's thirty dollars Canadian, and uh, if you have a Steam Deck, it's a great portable Steam Deck game, and um, it uh, it it does pass the test of like you you can quit out of a run as long as you're like at a quote unquote pause screen. So like if you're not in mid battle, you can quit out of your run and come come right back to it. Uh, so that's a plus for me. Cause again, like sometimes you might just have five minutes. You want to jump in, do a few, a few rounds and then jump out. So that's, that's been really, really good. So yeah. Um, beneath Oressa, it's steam only for now. Um, playing it on steam deck and again, like having a lot of fun with it, even though I assume I'm terrible at it because I have yet to win, uh, even after playing about 10 hours and unlocking most of the characters i feel like i'm getting better though i feel like by unlocking more characters and unlocking more powers theoretically i'm getting better i made it part way through the third floor so that i think that's saying something that sounds close you're, you're almost there <laughs> yeah i know it's so weird like i know i'm describing like uh m- me essentially failing to 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 win this game and again the way it's presented i feel like i i, I feel like the goal is to win. So <laughs> it's not, I don't know whose fault it is. Uh, I feel like, I feel like it's tuned in a way where it is quite difficult. Like that third floor is like characters are hitting hard. I'm not able to get my defense up uh, to protect my health pool. Uh, your health does fully heal after you complete a floor. So like if you get to that final boss and you, and you complete that final boss of that floor, you do know in the back of your mind that your health is going to be restored for the next floor. So you always start fresh, which is a nice touch. And honestly, like that's a, that's a really um, quality of life thing there. Cause they could, they could say from a roguelike perspective, it's like, no, nah, you, you lost all that health in the boss fight. You're stuck. So I, I appreciate that, but there's just something about that third floor where maybe, maybe you just have to use, you have to have built your character in a way and, and powered them up enough to, um, the way I play is I usually try to prioritize getting my companion skills all unlocked. So I have that. Maybe I need to focus on getting better cards. I don't know. So, I mean, I, I'm going to keep playing it. I, I want I want to finish a mission. <laughs> I want to win. <laughs> <laughs> I want to win. I'm having fun. This is the main thing. I'm having a blast with it. I, uh, I, I cannot say this enough. Like, I'm really enjoying the combat. It is a great uh, pick up and play game. And I... I know once uh, they add that full controller support, I'll I'll be all over it uh, in docked mode. Um, but as of right now, I've just kind of been playing uh, on the Steam Deck, and then through um, cloud saves, I've been playing on on the laptop. So uh, it's a really it's a really great game for sort of like a mouse and keyboard. It works. It, it is it is really just a mouse game. There's there's no typing. It's all just with the cursor. So when they add that full controller support, I, I I think like it there's work to be done. Don't get me wrong to to add controller support here, but it 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 should be it should be a really good um, uh, quality of life to just uh, be able to like flip through the cards and 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 you know choose them with buttons and stuff like it. It's the cursor in controller support is not great, but it works. Um, so I am looking forward to controller support, but 
yeah, it's a great little game. I'm really enjoying it, even though as as Travis has laughed multiple times, I'm I'm assuming I'm not very good at it because <laughs> I have yet to finish a mission. But uh, that seems to be uh, the case for a lot of folks. They've a lot of folks in the Steam discussions are saying like, "Is this game supposed to be this hard?" I, like, you know, so. Yeah, it sounds I mean, I'm glad you're having a blast with it. It sounds like the type of game that I would bounce off of hard. Um, like I, I struggled with Slay the Spire um, and I was not a big fan of Hades. Just the, the randomness of everything and com- combining the randomness of what cards you're going to have in your deck to begin with, with what cards you're going to draw at the appropriate time or what powers you're choosing in Hades that kind of thing just drives me crazy. And I, I, if I were in your shoes, I mean, maybe if I were having as much fun as you seem to be, I would stick with it. But I just feel like whenever whenever it hits me, I have yet to win and I don't <laughs> know whose fault it is. That's when I stop. <laughs> like, yeah. I, can't even, like, I can't identify what my problem is here. Um, but that also usually equates to like, I'm not having much fun because I don't understand what's going on either. Um, yes. and it sounds like that's not the case. You seem like you at least have a grasp of, of what's happening and you're having a great time. So as long as that's the case, I would say stick with it, but it, uh, beyond the art style, it sounds like it's maybe not a me game. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean like this, the, um, the game is not going to change your opinion on, card battler roguelikes if if i say card battler roguelike and you're like oh man that sounds great then this game you're gonna love it because it is that and again like the the icing on the cake is that it i feel like it really does have a unique art style um in regards to that specific type of uh, of game but it's not going to change your opinion on card battler roguelikes if you did not like them um or roguelikes in general but like yeah i, th- I think of hades and it's like well you don't you don't fight and, you know, defeat Hades in your first, second, third, even like 20th playthrough. And I feel like I'm, I feel like that's, I think the way it presents, I think it's just the way they present like finishing a mission. It really feels like I, I should have been able to complete one by now. Mm. Um, So I, I yeah, I'll, I'll I'm going to stick with it because I am having a lot of fun with the mechanics and, and I am like I do finish one or two floors with every playthrough now. So I, th- I think it's just a matter of like trying to, uh, to see h- how completing a, a third floor works. But as of right now, I'm enjoying it and I'll, um, I'm going to keep with it. Like I said, I, I'm, it's a really great game. I I'm really looking forward to the added, uh, proper controller support, but I know like they just launched, so they're working on bug fixes and stuff. So, uh, but it's on, it's on their radar. So, Check out Beneath Orissa if you really enjoy uh, card battler roguelikes. I think you'll dig this one. And if you have a Steam Deck, it works. It works. It's solid. Like I said, with that trackpad, it's. I had no problems with the cursor controls. Uh, but now for something completely different. We're going to talk about N64 games. <laughs> um, <laughs> which Travis really enjoys. More things with interesting controller support. Yeah, um. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So um, if you tuned in uh, last Friday, we had our Avendad's uh, N64 War event for Extra Life, which is a yearly Avendad's gathering as we try to raise money for Extra Life. And um, it's part of the Gamers In sort of overall events for Extra Life. And this year we thought it would be fun to finally use our uh, Nintendo Switch Online expansion pass um, 
as you know, Travis, we're family. Uh, of course. Yeah. And um, so is Crofton. So is Whirlwind. So Crofton, Whirlwind, Travis and I, we all played a bunch of N64 games. Um, some would argue that Whirlwind and I were better prepared. Others <laughs> would argue that uh, we we were pay to win with having N64 <laughs> controllers. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I believe Crofton said like, "Well, I didn't buy an N64 controller because I was uh, I'm going to donate that amount of money to to Extra Life." So, um, that's a, a you know that makes sense too. But I I really think like if you pick one console uh, out there, and and you're kind of thinking like I guess outside like remove Wii from the equation because Wii was very I guess Wii U as well, but it was very specific. It's a bad analogy, but I just feel like if you're looking at the 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 N64 a lot of those games relied on the the wackiness of that N64 controller as well as the fact that these games are emulated N64 games like it does not change the controller prompts so whirlwind and i were totally fine with it because like all the controller prompts are N64 controller prompts whereas like <laughs> i'm assuming Travis and Crofton were playing with pro controllers, which does not help because the controllers obviously evolved since then. Um, we we were. We were both definitely on <laughs> on the pro controller. And I, I wish I could remember the exact quote from Crofton, but there was definitely <laughs> something to the effect of, uh, it, you know, it would have been a different game altogether had we had the N64 controllers. And for me, I did not have an N64 growing up so looking at the n64 controller i certainly would not have been any better off i would have understood what the buttons were that it was telling me to push but having no familiarity with the layout of that controller or you know and actually being able to use it i would have been just as bad with that um so i i I don't blame my controller at all maybe crofton would have had uh, had better luck but yeah, I mean, regardless, controller jokes aside, um, you know, I had a blast. It was it was a great time. It was a great cause. Um, a lot of laughs and, and some great recordings came out of it, too, that you shared yes. earlier this week. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't regret it at all. I would definitely do it again. Um, <laughs> you don't regret it. That's good. I did, yeah, that's the, that's the the starting point. No, um, put it on the box. Crofton <laughs> Crofton had made the comment like something about despite me hating Mario Party with the, the, you know the hate of a thousand <laughs> or fire of a thousand suns or something like that. Yeah. I, I really honestly I didn't hate it, and I, but I'm kind of glad it came off that way because <laughs> I think it was probably more entertaining. Um, my issues with Mario uh, Mario Party was just that I had never played it before, so. It was like every 45 seconds, here's a new thing that you have to try to figure out what what everyone is talking about. And oh, yeah, the on-screen prompts aren't for your controller. So <laughs> good luck. Um, yeah, it was just I just had no idea what was going on most of the time or what I was trying to accomplish. But I enjoyed hanging out with you guys. The game was fun. Um I apologize if I came off as a Mario hater. Um, you know, we we had a great night, so. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And the tennis, I also really enjoyed the tennis. I that that's one that I would do again for sure. Um, yeah, Goldeneye, not so much. But <laughs> yeah, Goldeneye does not hold up. I mean, I know at the time, and I remember I was there. The N64 was like that was peak nostalgia because that was when I was still at home 
with my brothers. We all played together. We had four N64 controllers. I think that was the console that was like really the peak of like all of us playing together. Afterwards, like there was, it, it just got less and less with GameCube, and I, uh, and and by the time the Wii came out, I was I was I was out. I was I was I had moved out at that point. Um, but like Mario Kart sixty four, Goldeneye 007. We even played Pokemon Stadium. There's like a selection of mini games in there. Those were a lot of fun. Uh, Mario Party, of course. Uh, Mario Tennis was like a late addition because we were we were actually moving pretty quick through the games because uh, we kind of scheduled three hours. Um, so we had some additional time before we had to jump into Mario Party. But Mario Tennis, you're right. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad we played it. And mainly because like it wasn't split screen. Um, it was similar to uh, uh, um, Pokemon Stadium and that it's like it's all on one screen. So it it worked really well. Like we all had the same large screen real estate and it um it was simple like it was back when mario tennis it was the first mario tennis uh it was it was just simpler you know like mario tennis now is like there's super shots and dodge (laughs) attacks and this one's just try to hit the ball (laughs) for the most part um and sometimes we and sometimes we did hit it. So that was sometimes we did. That was good. Yeah. There was a couple uh there was a couple where the ball did not get hit, uh, but it's all good. <laughs> uh and then I think we ended the night with just um F Zero X, just playing a little bit of that. And uh I, I gotta say though, like my the biggest, you know, the coolest thing that I saw, the biggest impression that it kind of left me was um, you know, Nintendo gets a bad rap for their online, but the way they've set up the the N64 app and the fact that you can set up a lobby, we set up the lobby once. Um, we had everybody join it. And for the most part, the way it works is like you're in the lobby and you're in the N64 app. And then the first player sort of launches the games from the N64 app and you kind of move from game to game. And it treats us, it treats us as if the the emulation basically treats it as if everyone's in the same room and it emulates sort of that local play, but through online. So, I mean, Nintendo didn't need to do that. They could have just said like, well, local, local play only, but the fact that they have this online there and I, and I think like it was more of a novelty for the NES and super NES and some of the other multiplayer stuff they've added to their, to their um, Nintendo switch online stuff. But like, Specifically with the N64 app, I, I think it really goes to show that it is it is a really good implementation. It worked, I'd say, probably 90% of the time. Like, the only glitches we had is there was a bit of, like, there were error messages popping up saying, like, there's some communication issues. But I didn't, like, have that affect my gameplay. Um, I don't know if it affected you, Trad. Like, did you notice it on your end? Like, was there any glitches or anything? Not really. I mean, there there might have been you know, like the odd half second of latency of just, you know, sure. like just one time when those messages were coming up. And that was also only while we were doing Mario Kart. So it could have been, sure, you know, it could have been internet issues. It could have been any number of things, but it was um, minimal at best. And it was over very, very quickly. So yeah. I, I think performance wise, it did really well. I mean, granted we were playing N64 games, so I don't know how much we were really pushing, <laughs> pushing the, the system. hardware. Yeah. Yeah. And you may, you may not have the same experience if you're, you know, if you're trying to do smash online with a bunch of people, but yeah, uh, it worked just fine for us. And, uh, I thought it was a great night. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And, um, uh, it, I've been, I'm sort of working my way through uh, sort of the markers I set and I'm in clipping stuff out. So 
Uh, I've been posting uh, some of those clips uh, in the Discord uh, and on Twitter. And um, I, I, yeah, so we had a great time. And I think this is a good spot to sort of talk about um, uh, the fact that Extra Life is uh, is currently ongoing. Like Extra Life is an event that we do usually like it, it it runs all year but we try to like ramp up promotion of it in the fall uh and and you know it kicks off around september and event ads is a big part of it but uh if you go to bit.ly slash tgi extra life 2023 you can donate to anyone on the team and 100 percent of your donations goes uh to the chosen children's miracle network hospital of that player and game day is Saturday, November 4th. We are going to have a lovely, fully planned out schedule of fun that we'll announce soon. Um, As I was saying to Travis pre-show, I have all the pieces on the board. I just kind of have to put them together, talk to some folks. Uh, But there will be an event Saturday, November 4th. I'm thinking we'll likely start usually around 10 a.m. Eastern, go for the day, take a break for dinner, and then go throughout the evening. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we're gonna have a ton of fun on that, uh, uh, on game day. Uh, but Travis, you've got some events prior to game day. You're actually going to be streaming on Friday, correct? I am. Yeah. Very, very busy streaming schedule these days, uh, going from straight to event ads into this Friday. So as I'm sure many of you know, uh, Friday the 20th is the release of Spider-Man 2, uh, and everyone is very excited about that. So I'm going to jump on that bandwagon and go ahead and uh, stream the beginning of the game Friday night at 8 Eastern on uh, on my Twitch channel, which is Pixel Mountain Gaming. Um, you can also find me through links um, through the Extra Life, the Gamers in Extra Life page if you want to go through that route as well. Um, but yeah, if anyone has a copy that gets stuck in the mail or Amazon delivery is just a little bit slow on Friday and you want to check out the beginning of the game, but can't play it yourself, or you just want your, maybe you're working late and want to watch somebody until you can get your co- hands on your copy, then uh, yeah, come on over, check out my stream, hang out and uh, support extra life and children's Mir- miracle network hospitals. Uh, if you're able to do that, it should be, should be a great time. Perfect. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Spider-Man 2 is going to be great, and um, I'm glad you're jumping on that, for sure. I've Whirlwind and I have been playing Gotham Knights, and <laughs> man, the traversal in Spider-Man is going to be welcome. Let's let's just <laughs> say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I understand where you're coming from. Um, yeah, Gotham Knights is a... You're jumping from... From that to Spider-Man 2, I, you better wrap up Gotham Knights because I don't think you're going to go back. Well, we've we finished the story. So we're, he's oh, like, we've become like co-op platinum buddies or something. I don't know. We don't really have a term for it or anything, but uh, we've well, got some now. miscellaneous. Yeah, right. That was real smooth. I just, yeah. <laughs> you just have right to say the words faster and together and you're fine. Yeah. And yeah, anything with buddies in it is fine. We're, we're bat buddies. That's it. Um, so... <laughs> We are. Uh, we still have a few miscellaneous trophies to clean up uh, for the platinum, and then of course there's free DLC. Okay. Um, which <laughs> I I don't know. We'll we'll see how much punishment we're gonna put in. Um, I mean, kidding aside, the game is not that bad. There are good things in there. It's a lot of fun to play with a friend. It's just not one that I would devote a lot of time to on my own. Um, and the traversal, as I said, I, I fully expect that Spider-Man 2 will, will just blow it out of the water. So I'm very excited for that sort of free roaming, big city game, but with the um, insomniac smoothness to it. It's 
I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think Spider-Man 2 is going to be, uh, it's going to be a big hit. Before we move into the news, I did also want to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash the gamers in. We are looking for our October patron, but if you want to get in now, uh, you could also be our November patron. So uh, support the show directly at patreon.com slash the gamers in. Now, moving into the news, um, I would say it's it's uh, it's a light news week. We only have a couple stories, but I want to congratulate everyone on getting through the last 20 months <laughs> of this show and many other gaming shows as we covered the uh, Microsoft purchase of Activision Blizzard King it is done. They've done it. They've purchased them. It's closed. It's over. I'm tired. Are you tired? I mean, just (laughs) (laughs) we've worked so hard to get here. (laughs) (laughs) I feel it's, you know, honestly, like I I think there were there were moments in the summer when it didn't look like it was going to go through. And then there were moments in the fall where it was just a matter of time. But at that point, we were already waiting. We had already waited 20 months. And it's been really interesting to see what it takes start to finish to make a big purchase like this. But I'm also glad it's done because like, honestly, like the news was, it was back and it was back and forth between like a multi-billion or trillion dollar company and a bunch of government agencies across the world. Not the most interesting discussions uh, that are, that are happening, you know, like, um, so the fact that it's done, I, I think everyone's a little relieved. Like I'm sure Microsoft is relieved that it's complete. Uh, in in sort of related news, the, the second story we have here is that Xbox chief um, Phil Spencer has sort of like somewhat apologized for the fact that like there hasn't there hasn't and likely won't be a big like celebration uh, launch on Game Pass with a bunch of old uh, ABK games. For the sole purpose, like we just discussed, like it also took a lot longer than they expected for the deal to close. And it was a lot more strenuous than they thought it would be. Like there were, like I said, moments where it looked like it wasn't going to be able to go through. So there was, there's obviously work that needs to be done to add these games to Game Pass. And that work wasn't done while they were making the acquisition because, you know, don't do the work if you don't know if it's going to pass, right? Like, I think that's kind of was their their mantra there. So because it took so long and there was some a bit of rocky road there uh, during the summer, like they they have to, they are starting the work now for additions to Game Pass. So like we're looking at 2024 before 2024 before we see um, Activision Blizzard games come to Xbox Game Pass. But that's not too far away. And honestly, like I think if they do the work, I, I could see them adding it as soon as they're ready. But I think they're setting a very, like, they're not over-exaggerating. They're not saying, like, okay, we're going to have it as soon as possible. They're saying, like, we're looking at 2024. I think that's the best we can sort of gauge at this point, right? But it is over. I think that's totally fair, too. I mean, we're here. It's, it's you know, it's uh, the middle of October when we're recording right now. So the thought of squeezing anything else into 2023 is probably asking a lot. You know, it was, it was just, I don't know, 10 weeks. Yeah. Something like that. Plus the holidays too. Right. So like, you know, you have a bunch of holidays in the States coming up in November and then December and it it, kind of turns your calendar into, 
a bit of a mess. So I, I do understand that. And I could see like a, like waiting for a quieter period, like December's a write off because of holidays, but January, February is usually pretty quiet in terms of game releases. Um, of course, you know, 2023 wasn't, but if you think all the way back to January and February, there was some, there was some big hits then. Um, but I think that's a good time to kind of launch that celebration. So I, I, I really do appreciate Phil Spencer getting out there and being, you know, stating what's going on in terms because a lot of people probably assume like okay we waited this long you know week two after the acquisition we're going to get these games and and he he apologized he said like look like i would have loved to have a celebration launch but there's no secret drop coming in a couple weeks like we just we did not do the work because the acquisition was so rocky we wanted to make sure it was a done deal before we did um any of these sort of deals slash work you know it's not as simple as flipping a switch to get it on game pass so well i mean i i think it's great news because it just fills up fr- it uh, frees up phil and company to uh to watch us play Sackboy on the fourth for extra life <laughs> and uh, and then they can bring out uh, lost vikings sometime in 2024 it should be great that's true that's true <laughs> well there you go uh our last story here though it's funny you bring up Sackboy is a playstation story and it's the fact that PS5 cloud streaming is going to launch for PlayStation Plus premium members. And the unique thing here is that um, premium being the highest tier of PlayStation Plus, just so everyone knows what that is. But essentially, it'll allow you to stream um, the PlayStation Plus game catalog uh, within the PS5 uh, Plus collection you can stream those. You'll be able to stream game trials, which I think is the big thing here. The fact that you don't have to download an 80 gigabyte game to try it. I think that's been the biggest thing for for cloud gaming for me is like, okay, I want to launch this game, see what it's like before I download it. Uh, that's That's a big part. But the unique thing here is that you'll also be able to play games that you've, some games, not all, but some games that you've purchased from the playstation store uh some of the games they mentioned here are resident evil 4 dead island 2 fall guys and fortnite so the big four yeah (laughs) that's that's true when i think of the games i need to play um but it but it does sound like you'll be able to play some of your purchases as well like uh but but you have to be subscribed to playstation plus premium in order to access this streaming so I mean, honestly, like, I think the the big thing for me is, like, I think game trials is the biggest one. Like, being able to launch your trial without having to download, like, the full game, that's a big deal. Uh, this is a good value add, but I, I still don't think it makes that premium tier worth it. You know, it's so pricey. I, I struggle with that. Yeah, I struggle with that as well. And honestly, with the recent price increase, um, it, it kind of makes me think about... If I'm being honest, I'm going to renew it um, because I I do get a lot of use out of it, and I have played a lot of games through extra. <laughs> extra is the tier that I have. Yeah. I can never remember the naming convention. Um, but you know, just that you see the price increase, and it does make you stop and think. And then to think, well, that's another at least twenty dollars. It was twenty dollars more prior to the price increase. I assume it's an even uh, even increase for that tier as well. But I don't know, in cloud gaming, it's just not something that I'm active in. 
I mean, I hope that the the tech can continue to, to develop and it can do good things for the industry. But with, with where we are right now, um, I'm still someone that just I don't have an issue playing games off my hard drive for the most part. Um, and I'm not someone that plays while I'm out and about. So it doesn't really move the needle a lot for me personally. Um, but it sounds like you've you've done a little bit with it. I mean, when you've done the demos that you've talked about have you experienced any kind of latency or anything like that or like how how is the tech does it function well is it or is it like a different experience for you i, I don't have a lot of experience with the playstation tech but i i think like the biggest thing for me has been on the steam deck using the xbox cloud gaming like that's worked really well there is obviously a bit of latency and some some noticeable lag between input and and seeing it on screen but it's not I think it comes down to it's not perfect. Like it's not mm-hmm. what you're used to when you're playing a game off the hard drive. It's not a replacement for installing the game. It's a it's a nice to have. Um that's where I think keeping it to the highest tier, which it is on the Xbox as well. That's uh, you have to have ultimate for cloud gaming. Um but I think like the value of ultimate is higher and there's so much else there that just makes it an easier sell. Well, there's only, there's only two tiers for Microsoft service, right? It's just standard and ultimate. Well, there's not like that middle game passy tier, like what extra is. I, I know they, I, Microsoft just restructured recently as well. They did. I think the struggle with Microsoft that Microsoft has is that like they, they kind of split it out. You know, you have Xbox PC, well, there's PC, then there's core, which is the live stuff to be able to play your console uh, multiplayer. And then there's the Game Pass. And then there's Game Pass Ultimate that bundles it all. So th- th- it, that's where Microsoft's kind of gets a little confusing and where PlayStation gets, you know, the win or the plus <laughs> rather because it's it starts with the multiplayer gaming and then kind of like adds on Game Pass, then adds on yeah. retro games and streaming and su- and whatnot. So they both have their issues in terms of the structure of their like subscription service. But I think I I just think that what I struggle with for premium is that what they add isn't what I'm necessarily looking to, to pay for. Like they don't add, it's not like they say like, okay, if you get premium, you get, you now get day one access to, you get different games, you get better games or, or early access to other, uh, to, to day one titles or something. They won't do that. They haven't done that. But what, so for me, extra is kind of always in my mind, the highest I would go for PlayStation plus, um, being able to stream doesn't change it. The trials are interesting. I like the idea of like being able to play a brand new game for three hours to check it out, see if it's something, something I want to do. I like that aspect of, but again, like I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay solely for that. So Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. And I, I don't know, I would, I mean, at this, at this point, I feel like I could watch two hours of a let's play and have a close enough, you know what I mean? Like if I, if I thought I might be interested in this, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, you want to play and it, I, I don't mean to diminish that, like it, playing is a different experience, but I feel like watching an hour of someone else do it would be enough to give me an idea of like, yes, I want to do this or no, it's not for me. Um, but yeah, I, I I agree. I'm with you. The the whole keeping it to the top tier and having the top tier just being a bit of a 
tough sell for me personally already. I mean, I, I just don't feel like I benefit a lot from that. Um, yeah. I personally would like to see the premium tier just be, and I still wouldn't buy it <laughs> to, to be clear, even if they did this, <laughs> I still wouldn't buy it, but I think it's better marketing. Um, if rather than have it be the top tier, if it's just an add on that you can put on regard, like you can get this by itself for 20 bucks instead of also having to already have extra that way, you know, if somebody just wants to play Parappa the rapper, they only have to pay 20 bucks a year to do it instead of 140 or whatever it is now for to have yeah. the whole package, you know, um, that also probably mudd muddies the water a little bit for how they present their marketing strategy. But yeah. anyway, it's, uh, I, I don't think it's for me. I'm glad to see, like I've said, I'm glad to see these services expanding just because more is always, you know, if nothing else, we're learning what works and what doesn't and figuring out where the industry is going to go. And I think that's, I think there's value there. So anytime there's, there's news about something like that happening, it's a positive thing. Um, it's just not something that, uh, does anything for me as far as wanting to pay for it. Um, yeah. Yeah. If if I, you yeah. do, if you are someone that subs subscribes to premium, let us know why. Let us know what you the benefit for you because I would like to understand it better. Um, so hop in, hop into the Discord or one of our extra live streams. Let us know what you think about it. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's a that's a great moment to say if you want to jump into our Discord, it's bit.ly slash tgi Discord. And if you're a fan of our Vendads event, you'll be happy to know we launched uh, a new Dungeons and Diapers text channel in our discord and that is a uh dungeons and diapers is a podcast i do with uh crofton about uh, and we talk about video games we talk about movies we talk about tv but we also talk about parenting uh so that new channel will sort of be a way to um have our dungeons and diapers conversations uh, in the discord there and uh we can talk about uh video games we can talk about parenting we can talk about all kinds of stuff so jump into our discord bit.ly slash tgi discord and before we uh, jet for the evening, Travis, why don't you let everyone know where they can find you and where they can check out that stream on Friday for Spider-Man 2? Yeah, absolutely. So as Ryan mentioned, you can find me on the, or in rather, the TGI Discord. I am Travis Pixel Mountain in there. Um, you can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at Pixel Mountain Pop Art, where I do some pixel... Um, Pixel art, I guess, is just a simple way to put it. Or you can check out my streams or find me on Twitch at Pixel Mountain Gaming. And again, Friday night, Spider-Man 2, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, it's going to be a good time. So stop on by, hang out with us, and uh, feel free to support or donate if you can. Perfect. Sounds great. And if you're looking for more episodes of the Gamers Inn, go to GamersInPodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter. You can find Jocelyn at Joss Plays, me at R. Murphy. And don't forget to follow the show at The Gamers Inn. And be sure to follow Travis, uh, twitch.tv slash pixelmountaingaming, so that you can check out that Spider-Man 2 stream, as well as his game day streams on November 4th. Thanks for staying at The Gamers Inn. Tune in next week. We'll see you soon. Bye, everyone. <laughs>